Uh, you can turn your Bibles this evening to Galatians chapter number 1, Galatians chapter number 1. I really enjoy, uh, you know, I, I just start looking at the verses, start studying, start reading, uh, digging into uh, what a particular passage might, might mean and, and just start digging and seeing how far I can go. And is this lesson going to be one verse or is it going to be three verses or is it going to be you know, I just start seeing, well, how much is going to fit in here? And, and I start getting my mind wrapped around the entirety of the, of the next few verses and looking at those things. And, and then as I'm digging, it, it starts to take shape as far as the direction, because there's many different directions you could go with a particular passage of Scripture. And so a direction forms in my heart and mind. And then I say, okay, this is the direction we're headed. And then I'll start nailing down some points and divide the verses up into different uh, groups and say, okay, this is dealing with this and that can be that and this is dealing with this and and then I, I I've got those and I've got the main point then I'll start studying much deeper and say okay under this point dealing with this topic how far are we going to go how, how much of the other Bible are we going to bring in uh, you know what other ways are we going to apply this how does it fit with us and it's just uh, I really enjoy just digging in and seeing what the Lord has and uh, tonight's lesson is certainly no exception to that uh, we are looking here at the uh, book of Galatians, and this evening, uh, we're going to tackle quite a few verses because I kind of feel like they all go together. We're going to begin in verse number 11, and we're going to go all the way down through verse number 1 of chapter 2. Uh, so we're tackling a lot, uh, but the title of the lesson tonight is The Divulgence of the Gospel. Uh, those that maybe that's a less familiar word, divulge, is to make public. Uh, divulge is to, to tell all uh, so all may know. You, you divulge it all like a child. You know, you're like, oh, you just can't. If a child knows it, everybody's going to know it, right? Kids, just they just say it all. They just tell it whatever. And uh, you got to be very careful what you let the little ones know because they usually will uh, put it all out. They'll divulge all the family secrets, right? And you got to be careful with that. But this, you'll see uh, why we're going that way here in, in a moment. But basically... The direction that Paul is taking is he really talks about the, the gospel and the change that it made in his life. Because of the critics and uh, those that were carrying false doctrine in this region, the name of Paul was under attack. His testimony was under attack. They were saying, okay, Paul and what he's teaching is, is not complete and you still need the law, the uh, truth that he was given was short and, and a little bit insufficient for full forgiveness, but you needed the law as well. And this is certainly not the case. Some people may have even attacked Paul's character and uh, said, hey, Paul's driven by motivation for self-promotion. That's what he's trying to achieve is self-promotion or he's maybe uh, driven by sinful profit and looking for that. But uh, this was not so. We know it wasn't so. We know that wasn't Paul's goal or desire, but God was using him. And Paul answers his accusations against him very clearly. He answers his accusations here by giving to us his testimony. Can I tell you tonight that your testimony is a very powerful tool for witnessing? 
You don't have to know every single passage of Scripture or how to refute the tulip theory or to explain Calvinism. You don't have to understand these things in order to share your testimony. Just tell people what Jesus did for you and the difference that he made in your life. And that's, you can be a gospel witness by just giving your testimony and say, hey, once I was lost, but now I'm found. I once was on my way to hell, but now I'm on my way to heaven. Why? Because Jesus saved my soul. And I don't understand all the th theology behind it, but what I know is the difference in my heart. And that's all you really have to have is a testimony. And Paul gives his testimony here. Can I tell you, every believer should have a personal testimony about the change of th that God's grace brought in their heart. A personal testimony. There is a real problem for many, many Christians because you ask them about their salvation and their testimony is very vague at best and completely doctrinally incorrect at worst. You know, you ask them, well, uh, when did you get saved? Or when did, when did you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior? Or how do you know you're on your way to heaven? And they'll say something like, well, I've always loved Jesus. Well, that's wonderful. I loved my wife for a long time before we got married. But there was a day when we stood on a platform and said, I do. We weren't married until that point. And just because you know about God and, and you loved God for all of these years and always just wanted to have a relationship with the Lord, that doesn't make you saved. There has to come a day of salvation, a time when you acknowledge the fact that you were a sinner and needed a Savior. And you put your faith and trust in Him. And people will say things like, well, I've always been in church, or mom and dad always took us to church, or, uh, you know, I've always loved the Lord, or, or many things like this that, uh, you know, you're trying to dig down into it and say, well, what does that mean for you? And, and, you know, obviously only they and God know if they're truly saved, if they put their faith and trust in Christ. Only, only God knows. But when we're talking to them, we're trying to get an understanding of where their heart is. And have they acknowledged the fact that they were a sinner and needed a Savior? Have they confessed with their mouth and believed in their heart that God the Father sent His Son to die for them? I know Jesus died and, and, and I trusted His sacrifice to pay my complete penalty for sin. They don't have to say those words, but you're looking for an understanding of that. Well, I think what we see here in Paul in his testimony here we can learn some things about how that we are able to maybe discern as other people are talking to us and for us personally about our testimony. Uh, 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. That's what people need to do. Examine their own selves. Examine their heart. It should never bother you that somebody questions your salvation. You should look up, I mean, you should say, oh, hey, man, let me tell you about the day Jesus saved me. There should be no question in your heart or mind. And if there is, then that should motivate you to get, get it settled and make sure that you know that you're saved. I want you to see, first of all, we here we have the announcement of your convictions. In Galatians, we didn't read all these verses because there's so many and we're going to go through them one at a time anyway, so we'll just read them as we go. Beginning in verse number 11, we see verse 11 and 12 is the announcement of your convictions. He says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which is preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, 
but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice, first of all, here in the announcement of your convictions, Paul's certification. Paul's certification. Paul says here, I certify. To, to uh, put that into modern terms, it would be, I swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. You know, he, he is saying, I certify. Uh, you know, sometimes when you're dealing with financial matters that are of some significance, you're required to have a certified check. A check that has some backing, that has authority, that, that is recognized by all the banks and basically is like cash. I mean, it's a certified check. It's, it's definitely good. Well, Paul's saying, hey, I certify that what I'm telling you here is the truth. It is a clear and powerful declaration of the truth that he was going to be sharing with them. Notice, secondly, Paul's, Paul's uh, communication here, his passion to communicate. Paul had an eagerness to share. Can I tell you something? Something to look for? When somebody trusts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, there is an eagerness to share. There is something in their heart. The sin has been forgiven. The burden has been lifted. I love it when I come into the foyer after Sunday school and somebody from junior church comes up and they say, hey, pastor, guess what I did today? And I'm like, well, uh, you won the quiet seat. You know, I don't know what they're going to say. Like, I got saved. I mean, they're excited. They'll go up to Miss Kim and tell Miss Kim. They'll, they'll go up to the bus worker and tell the bus worker. When they get home, they'll tell their mom and dad, guess what I did today? I got saved. They're excited about it. And beloved, when somebody truly gets saved, they're excited and they want to tell people. They want other people to know about it. I can't tell you how many testimonies I've heard about people that got saved and they went to share it expecting everybody to be as excited as they were. And then they found out right away, people were like, what? Uh, not, not interested, didn't care, and they were just shocked that, man, I, I, I thought everybody would be excited about this. There was a passion to communicate. That's something that will be evident when somebody truly trusts Christ. There's a passion to communicate that truth. There's a presentation of Christ he gives us here. He says that the gospel he preached was not after men. It was not something that was handed down to him through time. It wasn't something that he learned in Bible college. It was not after men. It was a gospel for men, but not by men. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul, we looked at this last week, but Paul acknowledges the fact that there was a time when he lived for men. Look back at verse number 10. In verse number 10, he says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, there is in that statement the implication, the idea of if I yet, he's saying if I still am driven by the motivation to please men, then there's a problem. There's a situation where I acknowledge and realize that, uh, hey, I'm not a servant of Christ, I'm a servant of men. He says, if I yet serve men. So Paul's saying, there was a time when I did this for men, but this is not about that. This is about Jesus Christ. A salvation decision that's made for somebody else is not salvation. Somebody that makes a decision because a preacher is putting pressure on them, uh, makes a decision because mom and dad would like them to, makes a decision because they're friends. Sometimes in junior church, especially that younger age, 
three or four friends will go up, and we've actually even had here, uh, I think recently, one of the ones that got saved, maybe not this last time, but they said, well, they, they went forward in vacation Bible school like three years ago because all of their friends went forward, and they didn't even know what they were doing. They didn't, they're just like, I just went because my friends went, and uh, that, that's not salvation, there has to be conviction in the heart and acknowledgement and understanding of your lost condition. But a, he says here, but it is a revelation of Jesus Christ in this last phrase here of, what is it, verse number 12. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation is a supernatural means of Christ communicating with the heart of man. It's not a human invention, but a divine inspiration. He was saying, hey, this wasn't handed down to me. This wasn't something I got out of a book. This wasn't something that somebody just shared with me on the street. No, this is divine revelation. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Beloved, if Paul was lying, he was a fraud. But we know he was not. He was sharing the truth. The declaration of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Over and over again in Paul's writings, he declared unto us how God revealed the truth to him. Let me just give you a few of them. I, I'm not going to read them all, but in, first, uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7, he says, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. In Ephesians 1, 9, he says, Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. In Colossians 1, 25 through 27, he says, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generation, but now is made manifest unto his saints. Over and over again, Paul's saying, hey, God revealed unto me this mystery. He showed me and taught me this truth, something that was present, that was there, but we didn't have the eyes to see. And God is saying, here is the truth for us today. God, you know, of course, sent Paul to the Gentiles in Colossians 1.27. He says, to whom God would make known what is the riches of this glory, of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That mystery of Christ and his ministry, Paul was making known. So we see secondly here in verses 13 and 14, the acknowledgement of your corruption. The acknowledgement of your corruption. There has to come a time or a place where you're talking about your testimony and Paul, we're seeing Paul giving them his testimony here. He says, hey, first of all, I want you to understand there was revealed unto me the truth and I want you to know if somebody's going to get saved, they have to see the word of God. They have to see the truth of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not man's stories, not man's opinions, not man's ideas, but the truth and the power of the word of God sets in their heart. That's what he said first. And then he says, hey, there was an acknowledgement of your corruption. See in verse number 13 and 14, he says, for ye have heard of my conversation in times past. Okay, you know conversation in the word of God is often used to mean your character. Your, how you are known, how you are perceived, what, how you act. So he's saying, you know what people thought of me in times past. He says, in the Jewish religion or in Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God 
and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. So we see, first of all, his past conversation here. He's saying, hey, you guys heard what I was. You guys knew what I was, what I used to be. But he was full of zeal persecuting the church. There was no man equal to him in their zeal in persecuting the church, in doing what he could to remove Christianity from the earth. In Acts 9, verses 1 through 4, he meets Jesus, and everything changed. Previous to that, his zeal was to persecute the church. He said, they're wasted. I wasted it. That word means to make havoc, to utterly lay to waste. He, he wasted the, his, his intention there. I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. Paul might have had that plan to destroy the church. But you know, God said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So God... Paul had an intention to destroy the church, but God knew it wouldn't destroy the church. He had a past conversation. We see his past convictions regarding his uh, religion, the, 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 the traditions of men that are mentioned here. And in these couple of verses, it goes back and forth several times. It begins and talks about his past conversation, how he was a Jew in religion and that he persecuted the church and wasted it. And then he goes back to in the Jewish religion where... I, there was nobody his equal, and even among his own nation, that could you know hold a candle to his zeal, his conviction, the things he's saying. I used to believe, I don't believe him anymore. You see, there's got to be a change in what you used to believe. When you come to Christ, there's a change in what you believe. Paul was fully committed to the Jewish religion. It's noteworthy that as you read of his former commitments, if you follow not just this passage of Scripture, but other passages of Scripture where we learn about Paul and you're reading about him, you'll, you'll notice that his commitments were to tradition. His commitments were to religion, but not to God. You can read them. You read all through all the other passages of Scripture and you'll see he was fully committed to the traditions and to the religion, the rituals of religion, but he wasn't committed to God. And that is the difference. He says in Colossians 2.8, Beware lest any man spoil you through the philosophies of vain deceit, after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. You see, that's the difference. He says, you know what I was? I used to be a persecutor of Christians. Boy, if there was anybody that was going to mock or make fun or laugh at Christians, it was going to be me. If there was anybody going to throw eggs, I was going to do it. I was going to, I didn't want anything to do with that Christianity stuff. Uh, but, you know, there was also a, a passion that I had for my religion. You see, there are a lot of people that can live in their religion and still live in their sin. Because religion doesn't change you. That's, he, he, there's a declaration here of his acknowledgement of his corruption, who he was. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. But you see, the problem is, is religion 
starts on the outside and tries to work its way in, but can never achieve it. Salvation starts on the inside and works its way out. That is the difference. You see, a truly saved person has a past conversation. They have what they used to be. Maybe they're not quite what they should be yet, but they do have what they used to be because things have changed. On that road to Damascus, when Paul met Christ, everything changed that night. He was a new man. The old man had passed away. Behold, all things had become new. As you have the privilege and opportunity to lead people to Christ, encourage them and challenge them, could I, could I tell you to, to approach them with confidence in the power of God to change their life? But be sure they know that there will still be temptation to sin, that there's some battles that have to be won, there's some steps that they're going to have to take to pursue and follow after God. As we say, it's not about where you are, but where are you going? What direction are you headed? Yes, you found yourself in a place that you say, how did, how did I get here? I don't want to be here. This is not where I should be. But what direction are you headed? As long as you can get up in the morning and say, okay, I'm heading towards God. I'm heading in the right direction. It may not look like much day by day, but if you continue to pursue after God, God will begin to change your life in miraculous ways. You'll, you'll look back and be shocked at what God's done in your life. The truly saved have a present change. We see that in verse 16. 15 and 16, where we see an altering of your character. An altering of your character. We say who he was, the acknowledgement of his corruption and, and the man he was all tied up in religion and, and all active and busy in persecuting the church. But there's an alteration in his character when he met Jesus. In verse 15 and 16, he says, But it, when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with the flesh and blood. Beloved, you see, one minute he was persecuting Christians, the next he was preaching for Christ. There was an altering of the character. Salvation is life-altering. It will bring change. Let me say, if there is no change, there is no conversion. Sometimes in, in foreign countries that uh, practice, uh, especially Hinduism, because they have so many gods, they will be more than happy to take on Jesus Christ. And they just add it to all of their gods. It's just one more God to them. I've had many conversations with Clay about the struggle to try and get people to, to acknowledge and realize, and this is the former conversation. They've got to be really ready to say, hey, what I used to believe about all this is not right. There's only one God. And getting them to that place many times is a, is a real struggle. But we've got to get to that place where 
It's not just adding. It's not just saying, oh yeah, I want to be safe. I, I want to go to heaven when I die, so I'm going to trust Christ. There needs to be an acknowledgement of sin and a change of who we are. So we see here in these verses the providential call. He says here that when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. The call of grace that brought him to God. Aren't you thankful for that call? It says when it pleased God, God was calling his name. He immediately saw the hand of God in his life. You know, God is the one that takes the initiative for us. God is the one that's always coming after us and chasing us. When I could not go to where he was, he came to me. Just like Adam and Eve when they sinned in the garden, who was it that went to find them? It wasn't Adam and Eve saying, oh, we need to find God, where's God? No, God came down to the garden and said, Adam, where art thou? And you'll find, Christian, that God is the one that's pursuing you. That the Holy Spirit is trying to draw you back or get your attention. And if you're here and you're lost and undone, that God is calling your name. He wants to save your soul. He is the one. It, it pleases Him to save your soul. There's a providential call. What Paul had been through from his birth, he says, up to that point was quite literally God preparing him for what God knew he was going to do. He says here that, but it ple when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, he said, I can look back and understand that all that has partaken in my life, that God has prepared me, he has, he has orchestrated the events of my life and given me what I need to fulfill the call that God has for me. Can I tell you, if he's called us by his grace for salvation, then he's called us by his grace for sanctification. Many are quick to grab a hold of and, 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 and accept the grace of God for salvation. That's just the first step. And your salvation is secure. Not by works of righteousness. We, we, we teach that unapologetically here. Your salvation is secure. But if God loved you enough to save you without you doing anything, there ought to be some motivation in your heart. The Bible says the love of Christ constraineth me. It's that that, that love that is, is freely given that motivates us to at least try to be what he wants us to be. He's called us by his grace for salvation and for sanctification. And what I'm saying is that God was preparing Paul for a particular task. Can I tell you that God's preparing a task for you? You and your skills and your abilities, your strengths, your weaknesses, whoever you are, whatever, you, whatever ability that you have or don't have, you say, oh, well, I could never do this or that. But listen, God knows your name. From the time that you were born, God had a plan for you. He saved your soul and he's starting to sanctify you one step at a time and, and cleanse you and, and, and mold you into the image of his son. And he has a plan for you to fulfill a duty, a job. 1 Thessalonians 2.12 says that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you 
unto his kingdom and glory. Worthy of God. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 and 27, he says, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And there are so many other verses that I could give you about God working in the lives of men to prepare them to be and to do what God wants you to do. But you have to submit and be willing to say, yes, Lord. We look at it and say, man, look at, look at all that God did with Paul. Man, it's amazing. You would look back on your life in the same way if you would, if you would yield to God and just say, okay, Lord, I know you've prepared me for something. Prepared him for what? We see in verse number 16 what he prepared him for. It's a powerful change that takes place in verse number 16. What does he say? He says, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. To reveal his son in me that I might preach him. What did he prepare him for? To reveal the son of God through him. Beloved, it should be the desire of every single person who has been saved by the shed blood of Jesus Christ to reveal his son through us. That should be our goal. That should be our desire, to live in such a way that people see Christ in you. He says that my life might preach him among the heathen. Can I ask, is your testimony such that men see Christ in you? Is your testimony about what you've done or your testimony about what God has done in you? You see, beloved, it's not just presenting Christ through our life, but it's also preaching Christ. He says both here. He says, to reveal his son in me, saying that people would see Christ in me, how I live and act and talk and what I do, people would see Christ in me. But then he goes on, he says, that I might preach him among the heathen. So use his voice to impact and talk to others about Christ. In 2 Corinthians 4, 5, he says, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord. Amen. Preach him among the heathen. Paul was making it clear that he was not presenting something that was given to him by flesh and blood. He said, I conferred not with flesh and blood. He's saying again, this is not something that flesh and blood gave me. This is what God gave me. Our convictions, beloved, need to come from the book. Not from this world. Not from others. He kind of just reiterates, comes back and says, hey, I conferred not with flesh and blood. This is not from some man. This is from the book. And beloved, this does not mean that there's no place for the man of God. How shall they hear without a preacher? There's a place for that. Paul here himself was called of God to share, to tell the other people the gospel. So there's a place for the preacher, for the man of God. But what we need to do is be students of the word of God. And know that what we're hearing is from the book. And make sure that we are getting it from God. 
we see fourthly here in verses 17 through 24, I've entitled this point, Abiding on Your Cross. Well, you understand, beloved, what we're addressing here is your testimony, what people see, what, what, when we look at somebody and say, okay, are they saved? Are they on their way to heaven? Do they know the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, there's an announcement of your convictions that takes place in your heart. There's an acknowledgement of the corruption of, of who you once were, but we see that there's an altering of your character by Jesus Christ and the change that's brought into your life. And then there's an abiding on your cross. Follow with me as I read all the way down through chapter 2 and verse number 1, because that kind of really concludes the thought that I have for you today. There's a lot in these verses that we could dissect and dig into, but we're just going to give the overriding thought. He says, Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But another of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and uh, Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto their churches of Judea, which were in uh, Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith which once he destroyed. So they had heard of his testimony and the change that had taken place, and they glorified God in me. Now chapter 2 and verse number 1, we see then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. Here's what I'm trying to say is there's a continuing in the faith. Brother Greg and I were talking about this earlier this week, the idea of people when they get saved and seeing them continue in the faith. Just continuing to, nobody has, has called us to be perfect. We're all sinners saved by the grace of God and we're all growing, but there should be an evidence of continuing. We could go back to 1 John where we were talking about that, uh, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, where the, it's several times through those chapters where he talks about, hey, uh, those that left the faith, they were not really of the faith. He said, because if they, if they were of the faith, they wouldn't have left the faith. And so there's an idea here of continuing, and I've titled the point, Abiding in Your Cross or On Your Cross, and picking up your cross and continuing with what God has called you to do. We see in verse number 17 a prayerful communion. If we're going to continue in our faith, if we're going to pick up our cross and daily carry it for Jesus Christ, there's going to take some time in prayer. We see this man. He said, hey, I didn't go up to Jerusalem to them that were apostles before me. He says, no, you know what I did? I went out and I got alone in the desert. I went to a desert place. There's a prayerful communion, a time where you spend time in prayer. Beloved, somebody that's saved wants to talk to God. They want to pray. They want to speak to their Lord and Savior. That relationship is there. He went to Arabia in that desert place to get alone with God, to let the Lord teach him who he needed to be and what was next. 
You see, Paul's world had just been turned upside down. Everything he thought was up was down, and everything he thought was down was up, and, and now he's a whole new man, and life is different. One preacher put it like this in one of the books I was reading. He said, Paul marched into the desert with Moses and the prophets and came out with Romans and Galatians. God teaching him after spending some time alone. Beloved, we need to spend time in prayer. Then he went to Damascus. It was a delightful place. You know, we need to often go back to that place where we put our faith and trust in Christ and remember that day. Remember that time where Christ changed us. He saved our soul, forgave us of our sins. Don't ever forget it. Share it with others. Your testimony shouldn't be vague. You should know. You say, well, I don't know the exact hour. I don't know the exact, the exact day. That's okay, but you ought to know that I was at this place or I was with this person and it, it was in the spring or it was in the fall or, or I know it just, kids had just started school and, and I know that I, I remember bowing my head and, and confessing the fact that I was a sinner. There ought to be something in your heart and mind and beloved, the more that you relive it, the more it gets etched in your mind. There's been people that have been, uh, you know, Suffering from dementia. They didn't remember much else, but in the midst of dementia, they could uh, still proclaim their testimony. They could still describe and talk about the day that they got saved. We see this prayerful communion that takes place. We see also a present companion in verse number 18. He went to see Peter. He spent some time with him, and we see he went uh, uh, on the next verse there to see James, the Lord's brother, what I'm saying, beloved, is if we're going to continue in the faith, if we're going to carry our cross, we're going to need some companions. We're going to need some fellow believers. We're going to need some friends that walk alongside us and help us carry it when it gets heavy. I just want to encourage you, don't take your friends, your brothers and sisters in Christ for granted. Don't mistreat them. Remember who they are. And how precious that friendship is. You be present for them in their hour of need. And they'll be present for you in your hour of need. A present companion. If we're going to continue in the faith and carry our cross. We need that. We see this practice calling in verses 20 to 24. We see Paul going out and laboring in what God had called him to do. We see him preaching and sharing and talking to others. He was not necessarily known yet. He didn't have a big name. He wasn't getting called and asked to come and preach or anything. He was just out there laboring for God and doing what God had called him to do. He was learning how to effectively do what God wanted. There was a number of years, beloved, that he was unknown and he just kept on going for God. He was steadfast and faithful for God's glory. And then we see a perfected chorus. We see a perfected chorus. I know we don't have the whole of Paul's life here. I just went into chapter 2 and verse number 1 because we say then 14 years later I went up again to Jerusalem. What, I, what I'm showing is the passing of time and how he continued to go and continued to go and continued to labor and serve God and do what God wanted him to do not just for one year or two or five but he was faithful and continued on it and he perfected his chorus. Many Christians will go through the smallest of hardships 
and they'll put down their cross. Read Corinthians chapter number 11 and read the hardships that Paul went through. And yet he was still continuing for God. Some people just decide they're done. We, in America, we have a retirement mentality. Well, I reached the age of retirement. I told somebody I was going to retire at 70. They were laughing. I don't know why it was funny. I didn't dig, in, I didn't dig into them with them, but they were, maybe they don't think I'll live that long. I don't know why they were laughing, but they're like, oh, okay. Uh, but, um, you know, I, we, we have a retirement mentality in America, like, oh, I'm going to retire at 62 or 65 or 75. And by the time I get there, uh, I'm not going to be able to get Social Security until I'm 80. But uh, anyways, we we'll, we'll probably won't even be available. But, beloved, we never retire on God. We never retire on God. That's not, it's not, we don't get to the place where we just say, oh, you know what, I, I did that already. And, and there's a lot of that kind of spirit sometimes that settles in. And there is something about the younger generation need to bear the yoke in their youth. And these younger generation need to pick up the cross and they need to get busy and they need to be dealing with and bearing the brunt of the work. And there is a time where the older generation passes on the baton having successfully instructed, prepared and, and given these people. And the younger generation picks it up and, and runs with it. But that doesn't mean the older generation just gets to sit down. There's a, there's a different mode of ministry. There's a different area that God's going to use the wisdom that you've gained through life and your experience and all those things. It's not just, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm done now. I'm not going to do anything else for God until he comes home or until I go home. It's just, I'm just going to, you know, sit and sour. No, there's a perfected course. That means we stay the course until the end. You guys know the verse. You've been waiting for me to say it. I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. I know I had to pull that from another text, not from this text, but I saw here in these verses just the idea of somebody continuing on, just keeping on being faithful. Only 14 years of his life are represented, but there was a level of commitment there that I recognized and then I was able to look at another passage and see where he stayed faithful all the way to the end. He said, I finished my course. And can I tell you, beloved, boy, want somebody that's saved, we need to finish our course. We need to keep carrying the cross day by day. Pick up your cross and follow him. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.